Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. today, including Matt Turner getting the start for Arsenal in the Europa League, Weston McKinnon getting a goal for Juventus against PSG in the Champions League, and Thomas Tuchel getting the sack from Chelsea, what that means for Christian Pulisic's future, and... And Gio Reyna getting two assists. That's true, Gio Reyna getting two assists. I mean, there was plenty to get into. Those are my highlights, but now I'm thinking I now left out Gio Reyna. Now I want to write like a formal apology to him. First ever, first ever American. First ever American to get two assists in the Champions League game. I appreciate that. But we are being joined by an absolute monster of the game in this country, Brian McBride. And Charlie, I'm coming to you first as our resident number nine. What are you most excited to talk about with Brian before we bring him up? Just how his role with U.S. soccer now in terms of how he makes those relationships work, the, the connections between, you know, the, the coaching, the, the sporting directors, being able to say, hey, we need this player for a camp. Can you can he come a day early? Can he come a day later? And and just how is he doing? Those those relationships that he has to build, but also hearing about what he thinks that this team needs as a nine. What what what's the best fit? Is it a player like him? Is it a player? that is more dynamic in terms of being able to check and dribble wow. players. Not that, that not that Brian McBride is not dynamic. dynamic. I'm just yeah. saying. <laughs> Did, I don't know if you're picking that up. No, yeah. no, no. I, I'm, I'm just uh, – Brian McBride one of the best guys um, that you could ever come across in this game. So it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say. Okay, and Heath, what about you? What do you want to ask? Yeah, Brian? I only have one question for Brian, and that's why is Carlos Bocanegra not a uh, former teammate of ours not releasing players for youth national team? Camps? So, <laughs> Get him. Oh, that's great. Get him. Yeah, I'm one. just trying to go Get after him. Oh, you know my. I mean? Here we go. Brian's already in the hot seat. He's not even on camera yet. So without further ready ado, it's time for our tale of the tape. Steady. Six feet tall, though he played like he was six feet five, weighed in at 176 pounds with some very sharp elbows, which protected him from those donkey center backs he had to compete against, like myself, who played professionally for 17 years with teams in MLS, Germany, and England, and he represented the U.S. in three World Cups, which made him an easy selection for the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. It's current general manager for U.S. Soccer in the pride of Buffalo Grove High School and St. Louis University, Brian! Jimmy, that was a heck of, a, heck of an introduction, my friend. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. So great to see you. How's everything going? Let's just start there. Great. Yeah, everything's going really well. Um, we're actually moving offices right now, so so I'm I'm in my my home office. So a little bit uh, a little bit quieter here at the we moment. We see the trophies back there. We see those trophies. <laughs> Wait, are you are you guys moving out of out of the soccer house? Is it or being rearranged or what's what's going on? I saw an interview recently with with MLS and and uh, Greg Berhalter in a very uh, what felt like an empty room. So are you guys doing some rearrangements there or what? <laughs> we're actually moving. We're moving, moving. out of the soccer house. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's a big transition, but we're we're going corporate. So it's going to be big office downtown Chicago. Uh, wow. 
you'll actually be able to run across other employees instead of being seg- you know, separated into your own little wing. So we're looking forward to it. Certainly Soccer House has been a great home for, for U.S. soccer, but uh, I think it, it, it'll be a, a welcome change. For Our it. baby's all grown up. Look at <laughs> yeah, got hair on their chest now. We, we love to see it. So, hey, okay. Jimmy, Jimmy, real quick, before no, we get, yeah, into, before we get off the Soccer House conversation, Brian, explain a little bit of what you mean about being able to see other people because for people who haven't been to Soccer House, it's a historic building. It's very old, but the layout or design in itself isn't uh, isn't exactly what you would uh, want in terms yeah. of uh, interaction. It's like a haunted, it's like give, a yeah. haunted house a, type of breakdown. Give a little perspective on what this beautiful old building was like. Uh, yeah. Uh, boy, I think by the time we just stopped there, I think we had something like 80 employees and we had maybe 16 parking spots. And uh, <laughs> there were two houses joined together. And so uh, if, if you had a fear of stairs, you, you definitely would not have liked this place because it was a hodgepodge of stairs and while going into different rooms and down in different basements. Yeah, it was, it was something that was, you know, I, I think gradually put together because of the growth of, of U.S. Soccer, the Federation. Um, and I think they, they realized we just got too big. But Heath, to your point, you know, you really only got to see certain parts of the Federation. And, and, you know, if you wanted to talk to finance, you had to go find finance. If you wanted to talk to communications, you had to, you know, go down two or three different steps and, and back up one. So all in all, this will be a much more conducive uh, environment, I think, for us to work in. Yes, it sounds like it. And uh, Soccer House was legendary, but uh, definitely time to move on. All right, I'm going to go with the first question. Uh, and, and there's so many questions to, to ask you, Brian, not only from your playing career, but also what you're doing for U.S. soccer as a general manager. But I'm going to go into the playing career. What was it like to play in your first World Cup? And I ask this because this will be the first World Cup for about 95% of our players that will end up being on the roster. And, and do you have the opportunity to potentially give off some wisdom given your, your own playing experience? Or you just try to stay pretty hands off given your role? Yeah, I, I, you know. First question, you know, as far as my first experience, it was, you know, it was a bit strange because our group was a bit disjointed. Uh, there was some disappointment on where we were staying. That where, a bit. <laughs> the team hotel, just coming from 94, where, you know, the, the, the core of the group was had played in 94, uh, was used to being in the limelight and being around, you know, a, a lot of action. We were, we were at a chateau, uh, particularly it's a winery. Uh, staying in the middle of nowhere. And so, so uh, there was some, some, you know, people who felt that that wasn't necessarily the right setting. And, you know, for, for myself and my roommate was Brian Mazenoff. We were just taking it all in. I mean, the fact that it's your first World Cup, you're um, just seeing the, the depth of soccer around, the fans around. Um, and, and, you know, was one of those things where you... I was in awe and, and loved every minute of it. Um, even though we didn't do well, it was just one of those experiences, you know, that it, it, you'll never have again, where it's your first time you're trying to, to, you know, make, make something happen, um, be a part of uh, a team and um, enjoy the, the, uh, the whole experience in itself. And the board results were great. <laughs> <laughs> but going away from it, you know, it, it definitely was something I look back fondly, even though uh, the results were terrible. Uh, I, you know, my, my question is ab- about your role as general manager. One, I'd lo- love to learn more about it because I'm sure when the national team loses, you you get attacked for sure because everything is somebody's fault, right, on, on Twitter uh, when, when the national team loses a game. So I'd love to know more about that role because we talk a lot about having former players in positions of power to, to implement change in the future, right? Jimmy really wants to have a current or former player in the VAR room always to give context to things, right? And we want people around well done, to Im- Im- improve nice. certain – they'll never do it, but Jimmy's going to keep on keep on, <laughs> keep on with that. Uh, but, but just in general, how important is your playing career kind of lean into to your role now as general manager of U.S. soccer, and, and how is that like a um, – a good blend of experiences to, to implement improve change for the future. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Heath. I, I think, I think it's important in many different ways. I think first and foremost, you know, you have to understand how to, how to support your head coach. And um, there's times when, you know, you're, you 
you're going to say that 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 isn't something that we can do. But there's other times when, you know, you feel that it's really important and you have to help um, organize those asks. And uh, I, I talked to Charlie about this separately uh, one time when Charlie was asking me about the position. And, you know, it, it's it's really about trying to make sure that that you help the head coach of the men's national team, of the youth national teams, uh, get what they need and have what they need. And then, um, you know, your communications typically with the clubs and basically sorting out uh, a relationship where you have to understand when the club says no and where they're coming from to, to not release a player, but also at times um, when you feel it's really important to push and try and, um, you know, try and get that, that, that ask or that need um, delivered. So it's, it's a fine line, but it's, it's something that's, that's really enjoyable. And I think having played, you can understand, um, you know, both sides of, of, uh, of the asks. So, so I, well, I want to jump in really quick, Charlie. I just want to ask with regard to getting players that have dual nationalities, are you involved with that? Like with Eunice Musa, as an example, is that more from Greg's perspective, or do you just let all of our other our players do it? Like just with the any DMs or send each other, come on, man, play for us. We're gonna be awesome. Or or do you have some influence in that side of it too? Yeah. So for Eunice, you know, that was late and late for me. Um, he was on Greg's radar. And and for the men's national team players, because I think it's it's really important that our head coach has a relationship with those players, it's mostly going to be um, um, Greg having those conversations. Uh, and and building those those relationships, for me, it's it, it comes more into the youth national team side. So, uh, along with Tony Lapore and our head coach of that oh, that's age a throwback. Group, yeah, yeah, New Hampshire and days. Let's go. That age group hopping on a phone call with the player and the player's parents, and just helping them understand, you know, where we see him in, in right now in the youth national team, and where we see his pathway to be to to you know. Uh, attaining a position on, on the men's national team. So, um, you know, it's important that people know it, that we, we understand those are difficult decisions and being in, as open and honest as a federation and as, you know, a staff is really, really important. And, you know, there's never any promises. There's just more of a under, or help to understand how we see that individual uh, a part of our, our federation. In terms of some of the players that you're you have to deal with in, in Europe, Christian Pulisic, Serginho Dest, they haven't had the easiest of circumstances and situations. Do you also make the calls to to those clubs saying, "Hey, what's going on here? You know, why isn't Christian getting an opportunity, or is there something outside off the pitch that is preventing them from getting an opportunity?" Did you, you fire Thomas in? Tuchel? Did you <laughs> <Yeah>. fire? <laughs> Did you make that call and say, "He's like, hey, yeah, I know Todd Bowley. Hey, Todd, <laughs> yeah." I know we're Americans. You got to fire this guy. You got to fire him. Uh, Christian needs to play, man. Uh, <laughs> he's sharp for the World Cup. <laughs> um, yeah, for the most part, you know, you you do have conversations like that with the other sporting directors. So, you know, I've talked with Dortmund. I've talked with Petr Cech. Um, You know, it, those things do happen. Right. But they're more of a relationship building side of things. And then, you know, the, the question will either get answered or they won't get answered. And typically... Um, those answers between the sporting directors or the general managers are, they're pretty vague because it's coming from the coach. And, you know, certainly there's things that the general manager or sporting director will see, Hey, you know, this is one of the areas we're concerned about. Um, but all in all, I think you'll find just like you guys know, as players, the head coach is, is going to be communicating with the player themselves. And then that player is typically going to communicate with our head coach. Right. So, there's an understanding of, of some area, but if there really is a concern, it, Greg is very good at reaching out to the head coach to find out exactly what the thoughts are. So I'm going to jump in and ask about your experience playing both in MLS and Europe, because since he mentioned that you are in a prominent position and we want people like you to be in these positions to, to impact change in a positive way, given your experience, how important were both of those to your development as a player and as a human being. And, and I'll add some context with, I needed to go to college for me as a human being. Now, I know there's a lot of conversation about skipping that part for the development as a player, and I get that. But as a human being, I needed that college experience. So maybe in some ways, you could probably speak to the college experience too. 
but but MLS and Europe and, and how important that was for your overall I don't know, human being player perspective. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, that, that's always a difficult question, whether or not to go, when to go. You know, I think there's, you know, many more opportunities for our young players these days because they're, there's, they're scouting at, at younger ages. So, you know, clubs, European clubs are finding out about our players earlier. So the opportunities are there. And, you know, when I look at it, it, it certainly matters that the player, the individual is prepared for it because it's not just soccer, as you guys know, it's, it's very much, um, you know, how you adapt, how quickly you adapt. Mm -hmm. Is it a different language? You know, are you in a, a, a city setting? Are you in a rural setting? Those things, they really matter. Does he have a support system? Those things have a huge effect. So, you know, if, if the player ends up wanting this to happen, I think, you know, taking a chance, and you, knowing if you have that support system or prepared for it, it is definitely going to help you as, as a player. You know, take an example. My, when I first went over to, to Germany, I wanted it so bad. You know, went to Wolfsburg. And after the first couple of weeks, mentally, I was done. You know, I had no way of preparing myself to understand, wait, I was a leading scorer in preseason. Now I'm not starting. And I couldn't get out of that spiral. So, you know, I didn't have a support system in the sense of how to understand those factors and what, what was happening there. And I ended up having to say, I need to get out of here because I need Ricardo to, Pepe. I need, <laughs> what was that, Charlie? <laughs> oh, sorry. I had a Charlie's got a cold. Charlie's got a cold. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pepe in my throat. <laughs> and so, you know, I went back. The one thing it did do for that year, it taught me what what it was what was needed to be a professional. So then when I, you know, started in MLS, I, I think I had a leg up. I understood what it meant to be and what was needed to be a profession. Then I, you know, I got that mental strength. I had a support system, you know. Um, so those parts are definitely things are of growth. And does it help you as a person? Certainly. It, it, it helps you. And, um, you know, for me, I think I, I learned how to be a grown-up and a human being in Columbus. But um, those experiences, like you guys know, any experience you have can be a positive experience as far as you, if you take it as a growth moment. And that was definitely something for me. And for our players, it's the same thing. Some adapt quicker, some don't. But it, it can help you grow. Yeah, that's, that's my follow-up question on that is obviously your recognition to leave is a really important one, right? And, and we joke now about Ricardo Pepe and the situation that we, at least the three of us, thought this is not the right thing from him. Can he recognize that you've got to find another environment? Not to speak specifically about him, but specifically for you, you left after a year and then you establish yourself or how less than a year, I guess it would be in Wolfsburg, right? That you go to Columbus. It was a year. Yep. Yeah. And, and you're able to continue that growth trajectory instead of saying, I'm going to keep on fighting this out and go a second year or a third year. And now you've lost potentially a lot of time in your player development. I mean, how hard is that? Or, or how hard was that for you to recognize from an ego standpoint, like, man, I need another environment. I need to change this, knowing that that time or that window is really, really important for your development. I think you were 22 years old around roundabouts yep. when you went to yep. Wolfsburg. Yep. Um, yeah, recognition of it. I, I think it's a bit different. Like when I say I didn't have a support staff, I didn't have an agent. I didn't have, you know, uh, someone that was had gone through that process that I knew. And so those things, I think if I had, if I had, had that, it might have been different. Because I might have been able to work through that stuff mentally. That's, I think, a benefit for our, our younger players now is there are players to look at. And there are people that you can say, hey, can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. is there, you know, what's your thoughts on this? Um, so you know, I think that this is, it's all something that in the end will be beneficial. But that recognition really is tough, especially nowadays, because it's a lot more money than than what I, what I went over to Wolfsburg for. Right. So, you know, you have the other factors that, that can be difficult to step away from. But regarding uh, Ricardo, I, I think that getting into to Groningen, having the opportunity to play more, um, being in a setting where, you know, it's a league where it's, it's definitely more of a, a, a league where you can learn as you go. And in, in the Bundesliga, you know, you're usually someone that is, either playing part-time 
and learning, but not expected to be, you know, someone that jumps on the field and make a difference immediately. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how he does in Groningen. And it's a league that caters to strikers. So it should be something where you also transition to a team that's fighting relegation every week to a team that's, you know, upper middle half uh, of the era divisier. So I think he's going to have more opportunities. The game's more open for him. And, and now it's really on him to, to succeed. I want to talk about the Olympics and what that does for a group. So finally, a team qualifies for the Olympics. We have not played in the Olympics since you and I were teammates in 2008. Right? <laughs> Great. I didn't know that Brian was 22 then either, by the way. I had no idea. Amazing. I knew Jimmy was 40 then, but I didn't know Brian was 22. Yeah, it's crazy. They called his grandpa, Heath. Well, you, you saw you – got, you got to see what it did for, for players like myself, for Stu Holden and Marisa Du, younger players getting an opportunity to see what the, the level of competition is uh, in, in a, an Olympics. So now for this group, how important is it for them – in their development, how do you see players coming into that team and, and finally, you know, making a difference, pushing for a medal? Because I thought we had the quality certainly to finish with a bronze medal at the very least. I think we were very unlucky um, in that last game against Nigeria. But given that, how, where do you see this team and how important will this be in, in terms of their development? Well, yeah, Michael Rasco deciding to bow the guy three minutes in right in front of the assistant referee. Anything but that. I mean, anything it, but it, that. It could have been a better decision made. I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> You're not Pretty holding sure. on to it still. I can't tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, let me tell you. I agree with you, Charlie. I think there was there was enough there. But going back to your question, I think it's hugely impactful for players to play in um, world events, especially in an event that you know, one we haven't been there for a while, but. But that doesn't matter for this group because they don't know that. I think what what matters for this group is getting the experience of playing against, you know, the top um, nations in in our sport. But also, you're going to be playing. There's going to be three overage players on each of those teams, so you're going to get an added extra experience. You know, anytime you get a chance to play for something that says world champions, uh, I think those are special events. And the more we can have our teams take part in those events, I think the, the better our players are going to be prepared to make the next step, whether that's, you know, uh, to, a, to a top uh, European club, whether it's an MLS club, or whether it's, you know, them just continuing to get better and improve themselves to, to make a difference in their career. I think these type of events are, are hugely impactful. Well, piggybacking off of that question, I know that obviously you want us to go as far as possible in this upcoming World Cup, but are there any non-results-based targets that you would like to see us achieve as a national team, somewhere where we're continuing to evolve, maybe in being more anticipatory instead of reactionary or, or you know, really taking it to an opponent like we did against Morocco, I thought, in June, where it was clear we were the protagonists in the game and we weren't just sitting back and absorbing just because we had respect for the opponent or the the opponent had a couple world-class players that play on big clubs. I, I really like that evolution of our program in general. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the, the, the non results or the immediate results are always going to be wins and losses. Um, and those are going to be important, but the, the results that we won't necessarily see, I think are more long-term rather than looking at this world cup, because um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been great that Greg's had this group, uh, a large core of this group for a, a period of time now where he's able to implement how he wants to attack and how he wants to defend and has the ability to adapt. And when it comes to a world cup and you talk about being the protagonist, you are going to run into teams that, that are going to be better than you. And it's how, how that understanding of, of you're going to implement a game plan and how cohesive that, that unit works through that game plan. I think those those are where you you get the results um, uh, that that are one of course immediate, but two you can build around that, and you know you've seen it in past uh, World Cups or you've seen it in past qualifiers, where you know a team all of a sudden just they get it and mm -hmm. they just build on that rather than the next game out they're they're saying okay I'm not sure how I'm going to do this, and I think those. The ones in, in this group, I think, is, is 
is very good at it and understands the ideas at, at a very high level. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope, I hope we're able to do that. I hope we're able to, you know, in the games where we, we are able to, to uh, have possession more and, and be on the front foot that we just keep getting better at it. And then also understanding when we defend and when we don't necessarily have the ball as much that we're actually better at it each game. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I certainly remember, you know, playing for a relegation fighting team in the Bundesliga taught me a lot about the national team, right? Where you are having to create game plans at times where very different than when I was playing in MLS, where you could just show up and kind of have almost equal footing with everybody. And I think that was the, obviously the environment is different and there's pluses and minuses to everything. But for me, I remember that being something of recognizing like you were playing against a team significantly better than you. Can you come out with a game plan and use what you do well to make a big difference? I think is, 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 is really, really important. Uh, Brian, are you, are you, are you actually six feet tall? I don't <laughs> I am actually six feet tall. Yeah, that is crazy. I had to look that to me. I was like, "There's no, there's no way." I had to look it up three times. I couldn't believe it. I would have said for sure, not even a question, that he's six foot. That I'm six foot tall, at least. Yeah, no, I thought I thought we were talking six three, six four here. That's why I said that's how he beats two. I would have said six two. The the point that I'm 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 getting at is that you you and I brought this up last week about you that when I think about you in my head, I see a guy with his elbows up, with black eyes on his face, with like probably bleeding from his head, and it's sort of the embodiment of what it was to play for the national team, right? That scrapping, that fighting, that thing that all four of us know what it was like when you put on the jersey and and what it meant, qualifying big games like that. And obviously there was a discussion for years of how we moved away from that. Do we need to move away from that to establish a game plan and a culture of, of who we want to be and dictate something a little bit better on the field? Do you think this new group has that same embodiment? We've seen it come out at times, that fight uh, and, and, and sort of that embodiment of the national team. Do you think they have that? Do you think that's culturally part of, of the national team still? Or are we starting to get to a group of players that are maybe a little bit different and able to not necessarily have to fight be the baseline? They're better than us, Heath, is yeah, what you're trying exa- to say. I mean, they're definitely better. They're definitely better. <laughs> but, like, there's a blend to that, right? I don't think you fighting still, only... You still have to have the grit. You still grit. have to have right. that... that mentality the talent takes you over the top but you still have to at the baseline you still have to play with that yeah look at the world champions right anybody who's who's won a world cup they're not this just pretty team that plays through it you always have to have some sort of fight and you know it it may be that you have two or three leaders are the, the ones that that have more fight but the whole group has to be able to to be committed together to defend together that you know, there's there's this um, understanding in this group that that they are they are much stronger together than they are individually, and I think those are the teams that that do well. It doesn't guarantee you to do well by any means, but it certainly gives you the foundation to um, go and play your soccer. And so, um, we're you know, I'm excited for this. I'm excited to see, you know. Um, Greg, take this group into into a World Cup, and it, it's uh, it, it'll be. Um, we we are too. <laughs> I'll tell you that. We, we, now yeah, I want we, you to take off your your U.S. general manager hat. Okay. No. You are Can't nine. I was a nine. And, and take 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 the World Cup out of it. You're looking at this group. What striker best fits this unit? Because you, you have wingers you, you, so you're saying not 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 names you're just saying like a style we, well, well there, we right? we know we know the names right so we know the six ferrera p folk sergeant Pepe, Wright, vasquez those are the six who are playing the nine those are the guys that greg berhalter is looking at and trying to analyze who who best fits our team who's going to press who's good defensively who's going to make team uh, Chris, ball, christian pulisic look Listen, better give him more space aronson reina timo Wea, you name it what what attribute do you think is most important for the nine in, in, in this group outside of just being able to finish? Hey, Michael Cameron, if you're listening to this in audio, just so you know, that was Charlie Davies that asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't me. wasn't Jimmy. I, uh, hey, this no, is, I'm, this I'm, is I'm a harmless question. I'm over here on the sideline. I'm over here on the sideline. I'm going to give you an answer, and it's, it's a truthful answer. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be it's going to be a forward who, one, of course, can score goals. I mean, that's going to be it. But more importantly, um, you know, how we press, how Greg wants to press and defend, um, how he wants to also uh, attack, that player is going to need to understand 
those those attributes and those things. And I think um, that will be your player that that starts at the nine. Do you think it's more hold up or more runs? Like if if you were if you were if you were a striker, hey, would hey, you say Charlie? There's other group? countries that are going to be watching this podcast. We can't give away all our secrets. Yeah. No, it, come on, dude. I mean, it, it's not it's not that simple, Charlie. I think yeah. it's because it, every game calls for a different different ask. Hundred so, percent. You know, I I think the one that is able to um, implement all those aspects is going to be the, the starting center forward. So there we go. See that that wasn't that was that was a great answer. See that wasn't like I'm trying to sidestep until is, until right. until Brian texts you later going, "Why you put me on blast?" <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Brian, uh, a question for you: Given how important the 1994 World Cup was to getting MLS started and really kind of kickstarting the game in this country at a on basically on steroids. How do you think it's going to be for 2026? Obviously, that's going to be an important thing. That's a backdrop for a lot of conversations that all of us are having about how we do as a team here collectively, but then just for the sport in general. What are you doing or or how are you thinking about 2026, how it pertains to, to growing the sport in our country? Yeah, first of all, I'm, I'm really not thinking about that much at the moment because yeah, we've got this we're pretty close. The other one. Yeah. Well, Jim um, wants to talk about like 2032. And... I'm just saying, man, that's a big deal. Yeah. Okay, you know what? Let's leave that. I'm very excited for that, but we're focused here. On, I get on it. No, nah, it's fine. You know what? We'll save that for after we we get like a Sounds deep good. run in 2022. So, Bo so last question. Bo we always Negra. do this. Everybody that comes on, You're, what's, who's Bo the favorite Negra. jersey swap of your career, or 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 maybe a regret of somebody you wanted to switch with, and they either big time you like Raquel May did to me. Still see you, Raquel May, or or <laughs> if if uh, you know or. Who's your best jersey swap? Let's just start. Yeah, there. and we want proof that you didn't throw Jimmy Conrad's jersey out when you're when you're emptying out when you're emptying out storage. So yeah, you find it, you find a, a new house. You find a picture of it, or we know you threw it out. I'll be throwing the storage. So I will. I'll pull that up. Yeah. I want you making two thumbs up when you take the photo. <laughs> you know, um, I you know I I have quite a few jerseys. Um, that's not to brag, but yeah, probably the most interesting one I think is. Um, you know, I've got a, a, a couple of Italian jerseys, but one's from his club club days and one's from his, his international days. I, I have the one I have framed is Wayne Rooney's. Uh, he wrote a little message to me. Wow. Um, but that's. Humble brag. Yeah. of the day. Wait, 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 wait. wait, 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 you know, I, I've told mine where every Spanish player told me they promised their grandma the shirt. And I was like, you can't all have promised your grandma the same day, uh, this shirt. But it, was there one that you, you, uh, you went yeah, and asked for and didn't get, or you, you would really hoped for, look forward to it. Let's do it in the locker room. They locked the door. I'm sure there was, I, I can't think of anything. Uh, you know, the up. funny thing is being, being a forward as Charlie knows, when the game ends, you're typically nowhere near like their special player. No, and you're so with Maldini. They've already, they've already <laughs> what, what, wait, what does that mean about center backs? What do you say? Hey, Jimmy, we were special players, dude. The Don't boring, the boring, the boring bounce. It all comes out. <laughs> yeah. I, like, was, uh, I was more about convenience. Actually, I'm going to keep this player. one, actually. I'm going to keep it. my kit and not <laughs> yeah. trade with the boring back. Yeah. Unbelievable. Do you, have any, do you ever trade with a goalie? I've never did, done that. Oh, uh, Ramondo. I did Ramondo. I never trade with a keeper. I think I have like two color jerseys. Yeah, Casey. You know, Casey was my roommate. He's my he's my buddy. Oh, that doesn't count. I'm talking about like you went and sought after a keeper, and you're like, hey, let's trade. And the keeper was like, yeah, you just banged a goal on me, so let's trade for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's the thing is either you gotta, it's gotta be a rare circumstance where you, he, he blocks nine <laughs> shots and you respect each other because you you hit him well and you did well. But otherwise, you're like either you beat them or they beat you. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. No, I you know I think uh, I think I traded with all the American goalies. When I played against him, I'm not sure if I have a, a, a Timmy jersey. That one I might not have, but I've got Brad's. And so who's Jason. the best defender that you trade with? Oh, man. That's your question. You know, <laughs> the, the best defender I ever played Nesta. against was Jamie Carragher. And you oh, trade wow. with him? And uh, I don't think so. I was so pissed off because he scored. And that, that was one of the reasons why I, I didn't like playing. He scored, he, he scored a corner when I was marking him. Mm. But he he set up really well against me because I was never this blazing fast forward. So you 
know, I, it wasn't like I was going to. Yeah, Charlie mentioned school. that earlier. Yeah, <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, I was all about movement. Yeah. I was all about you know, holding the ball up, connecting, and, and timing inside the penalty area. And mm-hmm. you know, Jamie was always he always knew where I was. I was never able to get free in the penalty area. And uh, yeah, so those are the guys that, that made it difficult. Like the others, like you know, I, I love playing against Rio. I love playing against. Um, Defenders that were physical and in in that manner. So, so you love John Terry? Yeah, I, I, I love playing. I love playing against Chelsea. It was awesome. Yep. How many goals did you score against Chelsea? Get a couple. He's like twelve. Yeah. Two dozen. You still have John Terry in your back pocket, Brian? I'm, yeah. I'm I, I never said that. England, let's go. Oh, I love it. I love Brian McBride. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Absolutely appreciate you. It. Best of luck in the coming Legend. months, and uh, we look forward to talking to you after it all goes down because I still have a lot of questions about 2026, obviously. <laughs> Brian McBride! And, and, right, and 98, all the burgundies that you have. All right, man, we'll talk right. to you soon. Brian McBride. Okay, we're going to take our first and only break of In Soccer We Trust when we come back. We'll break down all of the fun action for Americans in Europe this midweek, so don't go anywhere. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Charlie Davies and Heath Pierce. And not only do we have to talk about Americans in Europe playing midweek, we have a big Open Cup final to talk about because we had President of Sac Republic, Todd Donovan, on Monday's show. And he probably won't want to talk to us today because they lost 3-0. to zero. But before we get into any of that, Charlie is our resident number nine. That was a great conversation with Brian McBride. Any thoughts about what he said? Anything jump out at you? Nothing jumped out at me. I think what he does is is really just have that relationship with the sporting directors. Like, hey, can I get this player? You know, can you release him early? Actually, you know what? You don't want to let him go. It's fine. But next time you got to let him go. So it's really just about relationship building, which is which is awesome because he's a really nice guy and he played in Europe. So he understands that. So I, I think from that standpoint, it, it was um, a great conversation. And he was he was candid with the nine, right? Someone who noticed how he brought up first defending. Hey, to be fair though, Charlie, you couldn't get him to say a name. And I you, you I think you should have doubled I, down I, there. I think no, you should have doubled no, down. No, I, I didn't want a name. You, 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 you could tell right off yeah, the bat. You didn't yeah. need Michael a name. Give you you didn't need a name. Yeah. No, no camera. Let me see. Not, not, yet. not, not yet. Not cameraman yet. Not um, yet. But I, I would say that defending is the way that the press, the initiate the press, yeah, is vital yep. to whoever's playing in that position, which I which oh, means Peafolk <laughs> is out. He is out because everyone says Peafolk can't run, can't press. He doesn't have that in his game. So yep. that that's easy, right? And then you're looking at, okay, did Haji Wright do that? Can he do that? Nope. Do we see enough of him? That, uh, that that's small sample size. I don't right. know. Yeah. We, so, so, we, we do know Sargent can press because mm-hmm. he defended his whole career as a, as a nine with the teams <laughs> that he's played for. So. so, so Charlie, Spicy Pineapple wants to know, and that's a fantastic username on YouTube, and we appreciate your support. Mm-hmm. Hit that subscribe button while you're at it. Charlie, who would you pick for the starting number nine right now? Who's your guy? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. No. Who, who do you think, not who should, who do you think should start the number nine? There's I like that. There. I'm seeing the shit in there. <laughs> because because should is easy because it's Jesus Ferrer. He has the key because he's performing. He helped this team qualify. He was a starting striker. He hasn't he hasn't done anything to lose that spot, even though that's going to be the, 
that's going to be the way it is considering that this, whoever's playing has to be playing at the nine for their club and scoring goals all the way through up into camp. So that that's just how he stays uh, in that position. Okay. Okay. But right now, everyone's it's easy to say, Josh Sargent. I see I see all the, the comments in here. Sargent, Sargent, because he's scoring. It's in the championship. I don't want to take anything away from him scoring. But you have to keep that form all the way through. If he gets called into this camp, he has to show something there as well. He will. Here's my bold prediction. Mm-hmm. I think he makes the team. I think he makes the team. And then, um, you know, I, I, I'm I still holding out hope for, for Pepe to turn around in, in Holland because, I, I, because of everything he offers. I think we're taking four strikers minimum, right? Do we say that already? Three or four strikers? Maximum. Maximum four. four. Maximum four. Okay, so if you bring Pepe and you bring Ferreira and you bring Sargent, mm-hmm. then – that four spot for me, I yeah, still think you got to bring a Haji Ryder. Yeah, you got to bring one. I, I would say Pifak. I'd say Pifak goes over Haji Wright. Pifak's not going to be your nine in the game. We know that. But Pifak for sure over yeah. Haji Wright at this point. Yeah. He's a, yeah. yeah, he would come on if we're down. We've, we've talked about this before. Heath, anything from the Brian McBride interview that uh, stood out for you? I think it's kind of cool that he's like the BFF of U.S. soccer. He's got to go out there and build relationships with everybody. That's pretty Yeah, sweet. you got to build relationships, but that's a massive challenge right if you know just the dynamic between major league soccer like soccer united marketing right and the split there and all the things it is a very complex world that you live in and to be a former player where you are and i've experienced this some we've all experienced this some in our post careers of having to leverage what you did and the respect that you have into something that might not be uh viewed the same for people it's hard right you're building relationships but i made the joke about carlos bocanegra but Carlos Bocanegra doesn't release players sometimes because he's looking from his perspective of the club saying, hey, we've got plans with him. He needs to play in these games or we've got him, we've got him on this training plan or development plan. And I don't think him going there is that important at the moment or whatever his reason. I'm, I'm speaking for him. But on the flip side, you're U.S. soccer. You're like, hey, we've gone through this pandemic. We haven't had players in camp for a couple of years now. It's really important to build these teams back up or whatever their priorities are. Right. We're preparing for a World Cup uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it is, is the most important thing for U.S. soccer. And that might not be the most important for MLS or a team in Europe or, or Liga Mekis. It's a challenge. It sounds easy to just be like point of contact, but you know, building those relationships, nurturing and, and managing them is, is probably pretty, pretty complex. Um, Would would you guys say it the same uh, with me in terms of the number nine, who, who should be starting? In the World Cup, not wow. who, who like, is. Oh, Charlie, Charlie, we already moved on from that man. Charlie got, got it. He's got hey, it don't worry about us. I'm not. I, hey, you I'm, guys I'm good. Us, you called us defenders basic. You know, you and Brian did. You <laughs> don't get any. Hey, you don't defenders, from us. unfortunately, are basic. Uh, <laughs> but what I will say is, because uh, have you heard of a Jimmy, of you should just wrap up the show now. Let Charlie <laughs> have to sit on this until next It's always defenders swapping the attackers to be like, hey, can I get your jersey? Come on. Um. No, but I, I would say if you're looking at this lineup right now in the starting 11, seeing Christian Pulisic not playing at all, we still think he's going to start in the World Cup first game. I think that's I think that's a, a set Gio, thing. Gio no? Reyna played on that left side. Gio Reyna played on the left side? I, I, I don't think that's in stone, Charlie. You don't think it's in stone? No. I, I, okay. I, th- I think it's in stone. I think it'd be insanity for me to think that. One, it's just hard for me to believe he's not going to play. It's mm-hmm. enough minutes, 30 minutes a game. And I'm like, Pulisic's getting the start there. I yeah. did like Giorena spending some time on the left-hand side uh, in, in the Champions League. Well, he, uh, you know he's going to come inside, right? Yeah. So it, it works. So I think now the, now the debate, too, that we talked about before is Zach Steffen and, and Matt Turner. Now Matt Turner's playing. Zach Steffen left Middlesbrough, left uh, City to get his opportunity to play at Middlesbrough in the championship, and now he's injured. So it, it's almost like that point was... That, that whole move, the point for the move is irrelevant. And not only that, he's not playing at all. He's not even training. So would you say that cements Matt Turner as a starter now? Cements is strong. I feel like we're so, – I'm curious. All right. Maybe not cements, but 80-20? Yeah, so 80% to 20%? He's, he's, he's in the lead. He's edged, he's edged forward. But, but you know, it's it's – if this is the only game, I, is he going to get the next one? the next Europa league game. I mean, I'm kind of curious with Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal manager. Is he, is this, you know, sometimes yeah. he goes, Cup competitions, I, this goalkeeper is, is it, yeah. is it for this? And Ramsdale is going to be the premier league one. Well, I mean, that would be yeah. amazing. They've got, Jimmy, the Jimmy, they've got PSV, they've got Zurich and they've got Bodo Glimt. If like, 
you have to be able to trust that you put enough players on the field and it's not going to be your goalkeeper that that like lets you down and you don't get out of the group stages of Europa League. Like that's a that's a group that they can win with with a mix of their their uh, no disrespect, but a mix of like some of their up and coming players and and uh, a few starters on the field to mm-hmm. bring some experience. So I think I think he starts all those. Now add that to some some other cup competitions and Maybe that's he could he be needs. in a decent That's run, all we need because know? we don't need to, like, whether he starts in the knockout rounds of the Europa League doesn't matter, right? Because that'll be after the World Cup. For us right now, it's all about how his <laughs> form is. So I agree with you. I agree with you that that if if he gets all the group stage games, and I assume they're going to go through, just their, their talent alone should see Oh, they're going to go through. Then, right. then I think he's going to have the edge. And he's only going to get more and more confidence with each passing game. He looked a little nervous, and everybody would be in that situation when you start the game. And then he settled in, and he was fine. And, and I think that's what's going to happen with each passing game. So I, I think Matt Turner's a guy. I don't know if he's cemented it yet because I think Zach Steffen will find his way back in. But yeah. to your point, Charlie, I think that Matt Turner he's got is the, uh, he's got, the, he's got edge. the edge. He's got the edge. Uh, and 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 Rashid in the comments, I see you. I I've, we we all said that Jesus Ferrer did not perform against Morocco or Uruguay. He got opportunities though. So if he didn't get any opportunities, then we'd all be saying, "Hey, hold on a second. We've seen what he did in Concacaf, but the World Cup. We, I guess that gave him an opportunity to say he has potential because he put himself in those positions to finish. But we also said because he didn't finish in those opportunities, that you can't say he's the out and out starting striker come the World Cup. And that's why a player like Sargent, a player like Pepe, you're still holding out hope, saying, "Hey, if Sargent continues to score goals and is the guy, then." I would take a sergeant who's in form crushing it in the championship starting over Jesus Ferrer because Jesus Ferrer, is, you could argue, is still a 10. He plays out of position sometimes. He's not always the nine. So it'll be interesting. I, I'm I'm really curious how September uh, I, looks for, for the striker position. With yeah, Greg I mean, just, just the Greg Berhalter interview, the long one that he did, the long form one he just did with Andrew Wiebe from, mm-hmm. from MLSsoccer.com. You guys should check it out. It's It's very good. And and, and I appreciated the insight from Greg, but kind of the underlying message I'm picking from up, up from him. And then also, and we've heard it from, from him before. And also Brian today, when we're talking about a number nine, it's not just about one thing. No, nope. it has to be in multiple things. And so I think that Greg's going to select the player that best fits and maybe raises the game of, of the guys around him or mm-hmm. creates space for those players to to have the success that they're having. So, yes, in, in defense of Jesus Ferreira, didn't score against Morocco, but did he make those runs that created the pockets of space for Aronson and Pulisic to take advantage of? I mean, those are little yeah, things. This, this goes but back They do to, matter, though. They matter. Yeah, this goes back to my Ricardo Pepe argument for a while now. Now, he's gone so long without scoring or or, or, or playing significantly that, I, that, I, that I've, I've walked back on that. But he actually makes players around him better. He presses the way he's supposed to press. His response is always good. He makes the game predictable for players around him. It's the same to Brendan Aronson. And that's a really important thing. And I think people get caught up on like placing 11 of their, our biggest names or biggest clubs onto the field. But the way in which this team's going to have to get results somewhere in the group stages is going to require that unit or that predictability to play against anyone. Because when our team was getting beaten qualifying because we weren't pressing well, they play right through us. And, and that's against CONCACAF opponents. You know, you play against a, a good opponent where if you don't know how to get into your blocks or what to do in transition, you're in big trouble. So it's an easy win. Uh, I wish Greg would just come on our show and just say, "Hey, it's a system. <laughs> you're on the. You're in the system, or you're or you're not in the system." Uh, even though he does seem to say that uh, in other words, and people don't want to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's system or not, and yeah, you're. I'm well, with it's, uh, John Anthony Brooks' well, argument. Well, one of the things I like, I, I I'm trying to think. Okay, we're we're post Wales game now. Okay, we're post the first game of the World Cup. Maybe it doesn't go the way that we want. Where are we going to be second guessed? with the starting lineup. And I think it's going to be at the nine. It could potentially be at center back. It's not going to be in the middle of midfield. It probably won't be with our wingers. No. Maybe it's when we bring on a sub or something like that. But I feel Joel, like the nine Josie's of the center the backs question. are the ones the that are going to be the big issues. What's that? I, I was saying, Joel, him as he said, what if Josie gets us? I said, he's out of the question at this point. He, yeah. he would have to score legit <laughs> hat tricks in every single match from here on out. Like, so, I mean, if he, went, if, he went, if he went 10 games with 12 goals or something like that, I think you can, you can at least, you can start to begin the argument. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not, not going to win the argument, but you can, no. you can actually yeah. start to make the argument. Yeah. But that's not happening. All right. So some big performances midweek for, um, from some of our players. Uh, we had Christian Pulisic. We'll get into him in a second, but Matt Turner, obviously starting today. I just wanted to briefly touch upon, Weston McKinney and Gio Reyna. I don't know which one you thought was uh, more impressive. 
uh, Weston McKinney scoring against PSG guys. So good at, at showing up in big moments. Mm -hmm. It gave his team a chance. Uh, yeah, against, that was a good goal. It was a very good goal. He's, I think he's our most clutch player. That's what I tweeted. And, and that hasn't changed, especially on set pieces. He always seems to find a way to create some space to get something on goal. I remember even when we didn't play well against Canada in Canada, we lost that, that game 2-0 woke up qualifying. Our best chance was Weston McKinney on a corner. And I think that's probably going to be a point of emphasis for the R England World Cup. McKinney yes, corner, that, England, boom. I, oh, God, Jack, that straight into my Let's veins. Go. I hope yeah, from your lips to, to the soccer gods ears for that to happen. And then Gio Reyna coming off the bench because Torgan Hazard got hurt 23 minutes into Dortmund's game and he has two assists and he looks pretty spry. He doesn't look 100% fit, but he still obviously is thinking so quickly and he's got the ability to to change mm. games on his own. Charlie, if you want to go with this, uh, yeah, I was going to say performances with those guys. Well, Jim. The, the best thing <laughs> about those two assists, the first one, because Charlie, hold on. Put your, Charlie, put your pin down. You're not writing anything. Put your pin down. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, put, that, been, put that thing away. There's been a lot of talk <laughs> of, of Giorena being selfish. In that first assist, he had a one-on-one -on -one with the keeper. It, it, he could have easily taken a shot. Easily. He decides to pass. That's growth for me. And that yeah. also shows, hey, He's willing to make the, the best decision in those cases where he could score and take that take that glory, whatever, in Champions League. No, he made the smart decision. Let's just just stay healthy. Stay hey, on the pitch, Gio. Hey, you want to yeah. know you want to know what selfishness is? Julian Brandt in that game. I don't know if you saw that guy, <laughs> but that's an example of somebody who didn't pass the yes. ball one time and there was like yes. six tap-ins. And every single time you, you see all the attacking players do They're the like, uh, you know, like here, I'm here. Look around. <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. So that that was an example. But honestly, though, we don't have a lot of selfish in our national team. We have a lot of foolishness at times where dribbling when you should pass, pass when you should dribble, that sort of things of not making the right decisions. But we don't have selfishness. And when Gio Reyna, you know, we always talk about players like, you know, get when they get angry is when they get good. Like Gio Reyna, if he's going to be that selfish player that delivers on that, I'm cool with that. You know, and you can see who wouldn't be the 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 potential he has that if, to do in spectacular things that make him different than any other player in our national team pool. And even that, even though I, I'm assuming they didn't expect to use him more than 30 minutes in that game. So Julius has come out and said Charlie has a case labeled <laughs> analyst. That's <laughs> pretty <laughs> funny. Yo, we got some funny people in the comments, man. You can always undefeated. For like so shout, one shout out to the in soccer we trust community. Yeah. You guys uh, are undefeated with uh, with the comments. So, so let's talk uh, about Christian Pulisic and Brian McBride didn't confirm or deny whether he helped get <laughs> uh, Thomas Sukel fired, but he had a good chuckle about that situation and us joking about it. I don't know if it's going to change for Christian Pulisic. They just brought in so many players that are kind of in his way. Keith, I'll come to you with Raheem Sterling. You got you to gotta play Raheem Sterling. Aubameyang comes in, which is crazy because that's probably felt like a personal move for Thomas Tuchel given their experience at Borussia Dortmund together. And now Tuchel's gone like 36 hours later. But uh, I, I still think that nothing still, is going to be a slam dunk here for Christian Pulisic. I still rate him over Mount, though. I rate Christian Pulisic when he's at his best over Mason Mount. I, 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 uh, it, it's hard to disagree with you on that because this year, especially Mason Mountain's not been informed this, this no. year. No, Mason Mountain does. And I'm okay with that. I want that to lead right through the world cup. Yeah. Keep going, Mason Mount. You're doing a great job. But yeah, I, I, I think he's still going to have to go and earn it, but you're going to get a reset. Um, and, and now like Charlie had mentioned, like you're going to come in here and, and create a, a system of play or a style of play within your team. And now it's going to be up to Pulisic to adjust to that mm -hmm. and not have it just be like, this is how I play, play me or don't play me. And that's what you get at the top level. Some guys are just play me or don't play me. Um, and this is how I play, or I bring this to the table. And that's what you brought me for. You didn't bring me to turn me into somebody else. And that's the difference between, you know, them and me, who is just like, I'll do anything to get on the field, guys. <laughs> Charlie, your thoughts on, on this whole Chelsea situation and what it means? Yeah, it's, it's tough, but... What I what I love about Graham Potter is he has an identity, he has a style, and he's he's good at helping the youth or younger players get opportunities and make the most uh, of those opportunities, play to their strengths. Christian Pulisic, I, I see Kai seven eighteen. He says, uh, "Go look at Mount's best season and look at Pulisic. Pulley hasn't done it yet, not even close." What I would tell you is when when Pulisic has been at his best, the problem is there hasn't been consistency because he gets injured. When he's at his best, and if you could keep him at that form, he is better than Mason Mount. I would take Christian Pulisic at his best in peak form over Mason Mount in his peak form because I think 
he's more dynamic. He gives you more on the dribble. He's able to create more as Mason Mount is good in possession, but he's not the best one V one player. You give him space. He can, he can shoot from distance. He has, he has an absolute uh, blast of a, of a, of a shot, but Christian Pulisic combinations playing quick, that sharp turns and cuts. I, I would take Christian uh, in a player for player situation. If you told me Christian's not going to get hurt, and and he's he's in the right frame of mind. Right now, you get a new coach. I've been there before. It gives you hope because you get into that rut, which Brian McBride touched on. Nothing, nothing is going to pull you out. You just keep thinking about the negatives. And whatever you do, it's not good enough. And the coach has a certain just a stigma. He, he's, he's just saying, you know what? I'm going to just classify you as this type of player. Mm-hmm. Now, Graham Potter, he's like, I have another chance to give you a different first impression. I have, a, I have a chance to impress you in training so that you feel confident putting me on the pitch and putting me in a position to succeed. So it's always going to be better than what you had with Thomas Tuchel because in Thomas Tuchel's mind, you're not good enough. Right. And you heard Jamie Carragher yesterday say, no, I don't think he's good enough to be in the team. How can you say that? How can you say he's not a good enough to be in the Tom and the Chelsea uh, pitch or in the group if he's been your most outstanding player at times? So these English guys, come on, it's time. It's it's time. For I mean, Thierry, Thierry went after him too, saying yeah. like it's got to be about you. You know, sometimes it can't be about everybody else; it has to be about you. I get that to a certain certain extent, but like the depth that they went and brought in players, they had seven players they were rotating between over the last two and a half seasons at Chelsea and never really even once established like what the starting team is only this recently that got Tuchel fired. Did they actually start to try to implement like, this is my best 11 ish, you know, they had eight, nine, but like they're attacking three with Werner and Havertz and, and you know, whatever the five other ones. It's like, come on. Havertz was starting striker. What, what did he show to be a starting striker at Chelsea? You, if you could put Havertz next to Drogba, yeah, it doesn't. Different class. <laughs> Let's that's, be real. That, that's not even a conversation worth having, to be honest. What what I'll say is when I look back at Brighton's games this season, they've played three in the back in, I think, six or seven of them. And that's going to fit well, obviously, with how Chelsea likes to set up, or at least this current iteration, because I don't think he's going to change too much from the placeholders that Thomas Tuchel's put in place. It just makes me worried that that's just going to cause less space. See, there was one game where they won 2-0, where they played with a 3-5-1-1 Brighton with Welbeck up top with uh, Adam Lallana underneath. I wonder if Christian could play that underneath spot. But if you're playing 3-5-2, you're going to have your three center backs. You're going to have Reese James on one side. Cucurella played for him at Brighton or, or, or Chilwell. And then you're going to have somebody holding. You're going to have a Kovacic. You're going to have a Conte or Jorginho, assuming they're healthy. You're going to probably have a Mount. Then you got to find room for Sterling. Have Jimmy, me. what what Chelsea I game just, are we previewing right now? I'm, it, I'm the, it's not. I'm just I'm just try, I'm just trying to decide where he fits. Like, where is he going to play in this three five two? It's going to be. Central. I got him on Charlie. I got him on. I got I got him on. That was a good one. Uh, uh, Jimmy's a, Jimmy's a wealth of knowledge though. Dave. No, no. But I'm just saying, like, where? It's an audition where he... for interview Todd Bowley. <laughs> Jeez, Jimmy, you want the head coach job I, or not, dude? Just I go, mean, just I, send in an application, dude. They I did. I tried. You know I mean? tried. They 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 said I wasn't ready yet. So. But 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 I just wonder where he's going to fit within that system, given what Graham Potter's done with Brighton this particular yeah. year. And do that, think, do you think he changed? Do you think Graham Potter changes based on the players that he has, or do you think he's coming in, or they're bringing him in under the under the auspice of like what what he did at Brighton? Like, listen, I think that Thomas Tuchel is a dick. He just seems like a dick. Okay, and and he, and he got really brash at the end. He did the same thing when he was at Dortmund. Mm-hmm. He did the same thing when he was at PSG. When mm-hmm. things weren't going his way, he got really antagonistic and started making comments very similar to what he'd just been doing recently. And, and this seems like a pattern in his behavior when, when, when he gets upset about something. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, there's all, yeah. So, so what do you do? Like, what, I don't think you change too much ultimately, but I do think that Graham Potter's going to come in and just be a contrast to that style, that, that, that mentality. <laughs> Cream cheese go off. <laughs> so, uh... so that's, that's, it's almost similar to Leeds and the Bielsa who was very, hard driving and you bring in a Jesse Marsh who's a lot more positive and, and maybe communicates in a better way than Bielsa was. And that might be what the, what Chelsea needs to kind of just feel refreshed in that players. And hopefully Christian will also respond to that in a positive way and just get some minutes. Obviously I think he's going to get an opportunity to do something, but when this whole conversation about Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic, Mason Mount, I think it's about 10 times more chances to prove himself than Christian Pulisic does. And Pulisic's held to like this incredibly high standard that Mount's like, well, he was a little tired. You know, there's always some BS excuse as to 
why Mason Mount didn't play well, whereas Christian's like the worst player of all time if he if he doesn't score. Yeah, because he gets to start every game without trying. Of course, he's tired. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. Okay, last topic before we let everybody go. The U.S. Open Cup final happened last night in Orlando City. They hosted every single game. It was 0-0 to the 75th minute when Sacramento made a mistake and they got punished. That was 1-0, and you could see that they just kind of got a little bit tired. And they ended up losing 3-0. Orlando City wins their first ever trophy as an MLS club. And it was pretty cool to see them win it. Congratulations to them. Heath, Oscar to Pereja. Uh, Oscar Pereja, yeah. Came on the show. He's a, he's a friend of the show. And, and it's exciting for him in particular to really turn that whole franchise around, Heath Pierce. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, I think uh, Orlando as a club generally have gone through a lot of cultural changes over the years. So to establish and get themselves... A, a significant trophy. It is a long way to any final, and to get that, it was good. They were they were a much better team than than uh, on the field than than uh, Sacramento were. I thought Sacramento is kind of like the longer it goes, it plays into their favor. But Orlando pretty much had control of that. It, it's a huge result. Fans showed up for it, and and um, yeah, congrats to to, to Oscar. Um, and uh, also, a, a unbelievable run for Sacramento. I think that's really cool too. Yeah. Obviously, you fall short. And it won't be remembered as anything other than falling short. Uh, but really cool to do with the team that they have, the squad that they have. It's it's, it's amazing. And Hopefully, it propels them now into the exactly. postseason and and exactly. something special to show just how close they are uh, to competing at the highest level in in, major, uh, in in the United States. And Charlie, now Orlando by winning the MLS, excuse me, U.S. Open Cup, they booked their ticket to the Concacaf Champions League. It'll yes. be pretty cool to see them in that competition next year. Vamos! I, I, <laughs> so Vancouver. And, and and Orlando are the two teams who are going to be representing uh, MLS and CCL, right, right now. And you still have Sapporo Shield um, uh, as well as the MLS Cup champion. And then there's a third team that is like the second best team. So I'm pumped. I, I'm, I think this will be great for, for, for the league, for, for Orlando, for Oscar Pereira to say, hey, ownership, give me the money. Let me go out and get <laughs> – get uh, uh, some some squad players who are going to make a difference so we can potentially play in a, a club world cup so uh it's great for the league it's great for for oscar um he's a great person and uh, so he deserves it and that fan base orlando city they, i mean they turned up they turn they turn out for the for the club so i've been in that good. safe standing before it pops off man a lot of energy man a lot of, a lot heat of energy maybe they should bring kaka back just for one last <laughs> run of the Concacaf champions league all right final thoughts heath i'll come to you first in Soccer We Trust, final thoughts for today. Before we have another show tomorrow, for everybody watching on YouTube, we'll go at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, live. We'll get you all previewed for the big games this upcoming weekend. And make sure you're all ready to go for our U.S. Men's National Team player pool. Take it away, Heath Pierce. Final thoughts. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, tomorrow's episode. Also, didn't expect Charlie to backtrack so quickly on that that um, starting <laughs> starting you know, uh, asking for our validation. But, uh, you know. I, I just want to know your defender's standpoint your perspective <laughs> yeah no because you I, guys are boring so i was thinking yeah. I, I was thinking i was thinking you guys are going to be like who would oh, you want to play against least heath uh, they're like yeah. oh we want to play p <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i did see in there that shout out people were like well what if brian ching hits form will he be in the team? I that's kind of funny that's a good final thought <laughs> that's a good final. charlie any final thoughts from you yes final thought <laughs> here we is, go should we, should we time get, this get ready. get ready um no final thought Brian McBride's awesome, and, and I'm glad he was on uh, to talk about what he does. One, I think people weren't too sure about uh, his role, but but three, just giving everyone an idea of what is going to be needed from that nine position. It's not just scoring, which is the, the most important uh, for, for that position, the more, most important thing that you need to do as a nine, but more importantly, they need to do pressing, they need to do holding up, they need to make runs. It's all about the 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 mahogany in my back my backdrop so thank you patrick appreciate it i my, my final thought is that i think charlie just skipped from one to three with his final thoughts but i'm just throwing that out there all right everybody thank you for listening and watching as always on behalf of producer des producer alex charlie chuck wagon davies hollywood heath pierce brian mcbride and myself jimmy conrad i want to say thank you so much for listening to in soccer we trust please take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform we're on apple spotify stitcher anywhere you listen to podcasts we're also available on video, so make sure you hit subscribe here on the YouTube channels, and we will see you tomorrow. Later!
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 